Chapter Two of The Way of the Wind by Zoe Anderson Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Two. In all her life, Celia had not traveled further from her native town than Lexington, which was thirty miles away. It was not necessary. She lived in the garden spot of the world an Eden with all things sufficient for a simple life. As she stood at the station, waiting for her train, an old negro shuffled by. He hummed the refrain of Old Kentucky Home, Fare you well, my lady. It seemed meant for her. The longing was strong within her to fly back to the old town she loved so well. But the train, roaring in just then, intimidated her by its unaccustomed turmoil, and she allowed herself to be hauled on board by the brakeman and placed in the car. Passing into the open country, the speed of the train increased. The smoke and cinders poured into the open window. Timid because of her strange surroundings, she silently accepted the infliction, cowering into her seat without attempting to put the window down. When a man in the opposite seat leaned forward and pulled it down for her, she was too abashed to thank him, but retained her crouching position and began silently to weep. A terrible night of travel began. It was a day-car. Celia crouched into her seat, trying to sleep, afraid of everything, of the staring eyes of the porter, of the strange faces about her of the jet-black of the night that gloomed portentously through the window. Then came the dawn, and with it the long gray bridge spanning the drab and sullen Mississippi, then St. Louis, with its bustle and rush and more and more strange faces, a sea of strange faces through which she must pass. After another weary day of travel through which she dozed, too tired to think, too tired to move, at twilight she reached Kansas City, a little town on the edge of the desert. Here, worn out mentally and physically, she was forced to stop and rest a night and sleep in a bed. And the next day, the wind! A little way out from the town she could see it beginning, bending the pliant prairie grasses to earth, flinging them fiercely upward, crushing them flat again and pressing them there, whistling whistling, whistling. The car moved fairly fast for a car of that day, but the wind moved faster. It shook the windows with terrific force. It blew small grains of sand under the sill to sting Celia, moaning, moaning, moaning in its mad and unimpeded march across the country straight to the skies. She looked out in dismay. Back of her, on either side of her and beyond, stretched this vast prairie country, desolate of shrub, undergrowth, or tree, a barren waste, different from the beautiful, still green garden spot that she called home, a spot redolent of flowers, sweet with the odor of new-mown grass, and pungent with whiff of pine and cedar, different as night is from day. Her heart sank within her as she looked. It was late in the afternoon when she came to her station, a collection of frame shanties dignified by that name, and Seth, tall, tanned, and radiant, clasped her in his arms, and man though he was, 
shed tears of pure rapture. His joy served to thrill her momentarily, to the extent of forgetting the wind, but with his departure for the vehicle which was to convey her to their home, the discomfort of it returned to her. The madness of it! The fury of it! Its fiendish joy! It tore at her skirts. It wrapped them about her. It snatched them away again, flapping them flag-like. It was with difficulty that she kept her hat on her head. She held it with both hands. The wind seemed to make sport of her, to laugh at her. It treated her as it would a tenderfoot. It tried to frighten her. It blew the shutters of the shanties open and slammed them to with a noise like guns. It shrieked maniacally, as if rejoicing in her discomfort. At times it seemed to hoot at her. Added to this, when Seth returned for her with the vehicle, it proved to be a common two-wheeled cart drawn by a mule, a tall, ungainly cart of dull and faded blue. She kept back the tears as Seth helped her in. Then she sat silently by him throughout their jolting journey over the prairie country into what seemed to her to be the nowhere, listening to the wind chant, now requiems, now dirges, listening to it shriek and whistle, listening to it cry aloud and moan, die down to a whisper, then rise once more and wail like a living thing in unendurable pain. Seth, too, by and by fell into silence, but from a different cause. The wind failed to distress him. He had become accustomed to it in the months spent in preparing her home. It was like an old friend that sometimes whispered in his tired ears words of infinite sweetness. He forgave the wanton shrieks of it because of this sweetness, the sweetness of a capricious woman all the more sweet because of her capriciousness. He was silent from pure happiness at having Celia there beside him, going over the same road with him in the old blue cart. From time to time he glanced at her timidly, as if half afraid if he looked too hard the wind might blow her away. And, indeed, there did appear to be some danger, for the wind that had loved Seth from the first was apparently jealous of Celia. It tore at her as though to toss her to unreachable distances in the way it ripped the tumbleweeds from their small brittle stems and tossed them away. Seth looked at her profile, white from the fatigue of the journey, but beautiful as alabaster, at the blue of her eyes, at the delicate taper of her small white hands, that from her birth had done only the daintiest of service, at the small feet that had never once walked the rough and sordid pathway of toil. Beautiful! Beautiful! His eyes caressed her. Except that he must hold the reins, both arms would have encircled her. As it was, she rested in the strong and tender half-circle of one. All at once the wind became frantic. It blew and blew. Finding it impossible to tear Celia from the tender circling of that arm, it wreaked its vengeance upon the tumbleweeds, broke them fiercely from their stems, and sent them pell-mell over the prairie before the tall blue cart, about it, at the sides of it, a fantastic cortege 
airily tumbling, tumbling, tumbling. Yes, the wind was jealous of Celia. Strong as it was, it failed of accomplishing its will, which would have been to snatch her from the cart and toss her to the horizon, in company with the tumbleweeds. It shrieked its despair, the despair of a jealous woman balked of her vengeance, tumultuously wild. At last, at about twilight, at the time of day when the prairie skies are mellow with tints fit for a turner, and the prairie winds sow with the tenderness of lullabies, resting for a period, in order to prepare for the fury of the night, they came upon the forks of two rivers, sparsely sheltered by a few straggling and wind-blown trees. Seth reined in the animal, sprang down over the high wheel of the cart, and helped Celia out. "'Darling,' he said, "'let me welcome you home.' "'Home,' she repeated. "'Where is it?' For she saw before her only a slight elevation in the earth's surface, a mound enlarged. Going down a few steps, Seth opened wide the door of their dugout, looking gladly up at her, standing stilly there, a picture daintily silhouetted by the pearl pink of the twilight sky. "'Here,' he smiled. Celia stared down into the darkness of it as into a grave. "'A hole in the ground!' she cried. Then, as the beflowered home she had left rose mirage-like in the window of her memory, she sobbingly re-stammered the words, "'A hole in the ground!' End of chapter 2 Recording by Roger Moline